Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe, and this is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to the show, Sean Caulfield. Thank you, Victor, for having me. Great to have you here. Well, Sean, you are a lawyer, and it's okay for you to be on a show, even though you are a lawyer. We won't do too many lawyer jokes here. We're going to talk about real estate scams, and this is not jurisdictional. It's not tied to any specific geography. But before we dive into the details, maybe give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Well, thank you. So, yes, I was actually called as a lawyer in 1994. I think the Beatles were still touring, and I divide my practice between corporate law and real estate law, and I've seen everything in real estate, and that's what brings us together today. I'd like to make investors more cognizant on how to avoid fraud and scams in real estate. So there's different types of scams that can take place, and there's all kinds of different things, everything from phishing to uh, identity theft and so on. And we're going to just touch on a couple here today. So let's say what are the most common ones or the most dangerous ones that you see in your practice and your experience? Well, I want to be a bit sympathetic that the fraud is usually because the participants, the professionals involved are hardwired to help. Okay, so they're not being duplicit and they're not being stupid. It's just they're hired to help and they want to help. And that's where it starts, is the evil people play on that, okay? And others, maybe it's driven by greed, you know, huge commissions, and yes, so they will be, they'll acquiesce. So let's acknowledge that some of the principles involved are there because they want to be. And then in comes the bad actor and changes the facts and starts being well, duplicit. So which would you like to start on? We have generally there's two buckets uh, with identity theft, as you said, and then just uh, flip fraud or value fraud. Those are the two big ones that, w- that I see that are pervasive in the real estate. Well, let's start with identity theft. And often most people associate that with people racking up things on their credit card, but it goes far beyond that. Right. So What I'd like to do is I'll just generally tell you what do we mean by identity theft and perhaps what are some of the red flags, how to mitigate, okay? So the client will use a fake ID to assume the identity of the existing property owner. And because a lot of the ownership details of certainly residential property is on the public record. So yes, someone who is um, savvy will know where to look and that's a good starting point. So the client sells the property or mortgages from title and then gets a new mortgage from another lender. So that's identity theft in itself. Another one is the paperwork for the transaction is in order. No encumbrances on title, which is a big setup right there. But one or more recently discharged mortgages are still in place. What they've done is is they've basically pushed through a property that has encumbrances on it. So so let's walk through maybe a, just an example case study. So okay. grandma's got a house. She owns it free and clear. They search public record. They get her ID. And now what? Are they putting a mortgage on title and keeping the cash for themselves? And exactly. grandma doesn't know that now there's a mortgage on her property? So that, that is actually a very, very simplistic scenario. Thank you. 
and it's and it's just that it's it's a mortgage. It's not a full on sale of property. Yes, it's it's not that difficult to present quote an actor who can play the role of a singular homeowner, or even a a full on middle class family. Lots of actors or or players that you could put in to play that role. So someone's just sitting at home. They're drinking their tea. They're watching TV, and this is all happening behind the scenes. What can they do? to protect themselves if they haven't already? What can they do? You know, going out and getting uh, credit card identity theft protection is not going to help you here. You've got to do something else specifically to the property. Well, if you you can't really buy... Well, all right. The good news is simply this. Generally, most of the actors involved who will carry malpractice insurance. So I'd hate to say it. You know, some of the people involved could, frankly, be asked to be somewhat accountable. Practice insurance can kick in. Uh, You cannot buy insurance that says, hey, uh, I plan, potentially there might be a car crash in my future. There's nothing analogous to that. You know, we have auto insurance. Well, you don't have that. If it's not mortgage, but if you're selling the home and there is something fraudulent, then yes, there will be title insurance that can come in and uh, undo it, put it where it needs to be. So depending on the jurisdiction, the person transacting the property could be a lawyer, could be a titan agent for a title company. Right. In either case, they carry errors and omissions insurance. Right. They carry malpractice insurance. Right. And then, of course, if there's a title insurance policy, the title insurance policy would provide some level of protection as well. Yes. So what we're talking about are the intermediaries, even if they were on the right side and they were not wearing, you know, the bad guys wearing the black hat. They will have errors and omissions insurance because they too were victimized. And title insurance is if there was indeed transfer of title, then there's some well-known like Law Pro, for example, or Stuart Title, they will kick in with their coverages. That makes a lot of sense. Now, for the case where someone encumbers a property, registers a lien, registers a mortgage on the property, borrows funds from a lender, impersonating grandma who's sitting at home, what could Graham, if she owns a property free and clear, what could she be doing to proactively prevent that from happening? Well, the number one item, and I know this sounds unusual, but you can easily look up public records yourself. So is this, it's right up there with individuals who will say, look up your credit score on a, on a frequent basis. It's not that difficult to reach out to Equifax as an example to look up your credit score, and it's not that difficult to look up the title on your property as well. It's, it's public information, so you can be vigilant by looking that up. So what that will show you is maybe after the fact that something's happened, what can you do proactively to even prevent that from happening? Well, then I would think right there you'd want... Uh, on title, tenants in common. So multiple individuals have to sign, frankly, any document. You know, and, and that's a very simple exercise. It's called a quick claim deed, where for love and affection, you could transfer a portion of your home to a relative. And, and that's the key. It has to be a relative. And you've actually put them on title. So it could even be a fraction of 1%, but it's just something that procedurally would require that second signature. Right. So I'm not talking about joint tenants. Okay, I'm talking about tenants in common. And the nice thing about that, Victor, is it does begin to open the door to estate planning. So wait a minute. Do you also have a will? 
you know, if you are that singular individual who can be played upon, exploited, well, let's talk about some of these things. So you're, you're beginning to move into the realm of estate planning. How would you move this property? And, and if, you've already, if you've started to change the title, then you've started to talk about the future, is what I'm saying. And so do we have a will? That's another intelligent conversation to have. Because what we're talking today, I would argue, is risk mitigation and asset management. So how do I manage the, the asset, which is obviously through wills? How do I manage not someone basically stealing it? What about the notion, and I've heard this, and maybe it doesn't work in every jurisdiction, of actually proactively registering a lien on the property so that if someone was to register a second lien or a third lien, the first lien holder would somehow be notified? Or is that, or does that process, does the process even work that way? Okay, big question, quick answer. What you're saying is you're getting someone on title and it does one thing that's immediate it will probably chase the fraudsters away because they're going to have to have that lien lifted so they'll move on you know you when you're in a parking lot you see those club sticks on a steering wheel it's the same idea it's like move on move on arguably you'd have to create a fictitious i say in air quotes lien because you're building some sort of a fence nothing to see here move on liens have to have some creditor-debtor relationship involved. So there's a debtor who says, you owe me money, and the creditor's saying, yeah, sure, and I'm securitizing it with my house. Or it's because I've failed to pay something, like a court judgment, or I'm a contractor. So arguably, it has to emanate out of a creditor-debtor situation. And arguably, one could contrive that to put a lien on the property. So remember your scenario at the beginning, and mine as well, it's a free and clear title. Right. That's what they, you know, if these are hunters, that's the big game they're looking for. They're looking for properties that are completely unencumbered, right. unencumbered, they're own free and clear, and that's the low-hanging fruit. That Those are the ones that are the easiest to commit fraud with. Correct. Correct. I love it. Well, you've you've written some white papers that I think can help. Yeah, I've contributed to talking about real estate scams and frauds. Two different white papers we can perhaps put out to your audience with some links. Yes. They're both high level, so it even goes and talks about how bad checks are part of uh, real estate fraud. It also talks about what to look for when properties are being flipped. It's not just about you know putting on mortgages. It's about outright selling them, and the people involved thought they were selling it for six hundred thousand. The home it was sold for eight hundred thousand. They were clueless. Where did that two hundred thousand go, and how did that even happen? So that's flip fraud. There's identity fraud, which we've drilled down on checks, and there's also questions to ask about the people you're playing with. You know, like so and so, I contribute this. It's like a line cook in a restaurant. Hey, I just do veggies. But yeah, but the person who's doing the protein shouldn't be trusted. Right. So how to protect yourself? You're not even a landowner or a title owner, but you know, you do have a fiduciary responsibility in this ecosystem to watch your back. And even if you are free and clear, do you really want to, you know, blow away 20, 30 hours dealing with insurance claims and 
you know, like we have better things to do than un- unwinding, you know, if you are collateral damage. So w- with a few hundreds to low thousands of dollars, you can put that protection in place and protect a property and almost not have to worry about it. Correct. So the two takeaways that we've identified is one is diversify the ownership of the property. And that could be the precipice to estate planning. You've got it made if you're married because that's joint tenancy. And nothing, 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 nothing can be signed without the spouse also signing on it. So if you've got a gambling problem, he or she's going to know about it. If you're, you know, if you're trying to remortgage the house, the other is maybe bringing in a related party. The second that we've talked about is getting a lien on there because that's a speed bump. No one's going to pay out until the lien has been relieved. So yes, it, it forces someone to have one more conversation and it's one more person I have to uh, dupe. I love it. This is great. Well, Sean, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Well, I'd like to see these white papers being pushed around. They're from an insurance, uh, legal insurance. I'm sort of their, I as other people are their evangelists. We like getting this out there because I too don't want to see myself, you know, wrapped up and unwinding something and dealing with something. And it's just not fun. You know, even if you are as pure as the driven snow. So I guess we can put a link In the show notes to this, um, you can reach out to me. I'd be happy to give you uh, this information in these white papers or just talk generally about maybe some of the specifics that you have. Or I'd also like to know about anecdotes. Like, tell me what you've seen um, and what would you have done differently? It's just the nature of my profession. Just when you think you've seen everything, along comes something else. Waterfront property for example, is very, very targeted by this community because they're remote and they're easy to to resell. Who doesn't want, you know, something to have some Chardonnay next to? Absolutely. Well, Sean, I love the perspective. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Sean. The link will be in the show notes and the opportunity to download these couple of white papers. And if you have an anecdote you'd like to share, send an email to podcast at victorjm.com. That's podcast at victorjm.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.